0: Welcome to another episode of EMS World Podcasts. I'm your host, Mike McCabe. You know, we certainly have a tendency to be our own worst enemy at times in this industry. And I'm sure that I speak on behalf of many when I say that ensuring our own safety inside an ambulance is not always our strong suit. How many times do we arrive on a traffic accident scene and check to make sure that seat belts were being worn, only to move the patient to the ambulance and treat them unrestrained? In today's episode, we will spend some time on this very important topic and look at ways that we can better approach this industry deficiency. We know that change doesn't happen overnight and that it takes key stakeholders to initiate this. In the next 20 minutes or so, we will break down how Horton Emergency Vehicles, always a leader in ambulance safety, teamed up with Violet Township Fire and EMS to break those chains of complacency and establish a robust culture of safety within their own department. With me today from Horton Emergency Vehicles is Vice President and General Manager Lance Randolph, as well as Assistant Chief Jim Paxton of the Violet Township Fire and EMS Department. Gentlemen, thanks so much for being on with me today. Thank you. Guys, as they say, you can lead a horse to water. Providing the means is only one part. Getting the buy-in is completely different. So Lance... How has Horton embraced this culture of safety? Tell me a little bit about some of the recent innovations that have been rolled out
1: Thanks I think you know key is is we want to eliminate projectiles of all kinds right if an ambulance comes to a complete and sudden stop, things that are sitting loose don't come to a stop until they hit something inside the ambulance and, and that includes most dangerously uh, people I, I think we have a lot of attention as in industry around the the patient being secured in the cots. But um, the the challenge is obviously with the providers, the crew in the back. And, and the first thing we hear is, I can't possibly do my job while I'm buckled up. And, and that's probably not unfair. So our first mission was to come up with a way to provide restraints that do both. Um, allow flexibility so that they can actually reach the patient, reach their supplies, and, and provide that care while being buckled up. And so We've worked very hard. Uh, We have a a partner called IMI out in in Indiana that has developed a a 4.4 retractor seatbelt system with one click that that is very easy in, very easy out, sit in, you strap it in, one click in, um, and it moves with you and allows you that flexibility so that you you can do your job. The the statistics tell us 84% of the time uh, providers are not buckled up in the back of an ambulance. And we all recognize that there are certainly times in this industry and, and situations where um you know patient care is is paramount and, and we're probably going to have to be moving around some but can we reverse that statistic can we make it 84% of the time we are buckled in in the back and 16% of the time is the time when you know for whatever reason that that's just not feasible at that point if, if we can accomplish that the 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 dramatic improvement in safety when these ambulances get in wrecks uh Will be massive, and and that's really what we're trying to do is is create technology that solves the need of of having to be able to do your job while you're back there, but still be restrained in, in case the unthinkable happens. And clearly, with, with Horton as well, we've you know pioneered airbags, which in, in the event of a rollover, those deploy as well. Those have been out for since 2008. Uh, these seat belts that we're talking about now we launched in 2015. So I think as an industry, that aspect of it we're working as a manufacturer to, to achieve, but now how do we change the culture and actually increase the utilization of that? And that gets into layout and that gets into, okay, now that you're buckled in, can you actually reach stuff? If you can't, then then that's another problem that, that we need to solve. We have to do that with our partners. That's not something we as a manufacturer can do because the layout is, is really kind of dictated by the customers. And that's kind of how we started this path and discussion with, uh, with Jim from Violet Township.
0: I really believe that breaking that obstinate type mentality with the provider is is such a challenge, and you are providing tools. You are provi- providing a means to that. But like we said, you could lead that horse to water. You could lead that EMT or that medic to water, but getting them to change is difficult by nature. We're, we're very cavalier. We believe that nothing bad is going to happen to me, right? And so we drive change based on negative outcome rather than being proactive, And I know that you said that in order to really push these things through and this change through, there were three pillars of change that we had spoken about. And I was hoping that you could speak to the listener about that. Horton embraces these pillars, You know, one being OEM, uh, the second being uh, the relationship between OEMs and partner agencies, and then three being agencies. Can you expand on that a little bit for us, Lance, and for the listener?
1: Absolutely. I I think... You know, we as a manufacturer have an obligation to come up with tools that enhance safety, right? Like like seat belts, um, airbags, those kinds of things. But you know, the best seat belts in the world are useless if they're not utilized, right? So then, if you're buckled in and you can't reach anything, that's obviously not a great outcome either. So that gets into layout. So now we have to partner with uh, our partner agencies, our customers, to collaboratively design ambulances where the supplies can be within reach, the patient can be with reach, and you can do both. You can be buckled in the vast majority of the time and you can reach your patient. And even if you have a, all the great safety innovation and you have a great layout and it's really well thought out and everything's within reach and the providers ignore it, it's still all for naught. Right. And that's where the agencies have to come in and, and get that proactive mindset change. And we as an OEM, have the least amount to do with that, but the agencies, uh, the the fire departments and, and the private providers have to be able to to figure out how to change that culture before there's a wreck, before there's something bad that happens, that sentinel moment, as you referred to it, um, to, to proactively start to drive a culture where seatbelts become the norm in the back. So those are the three pillars, right? It's OEM is pillar one, OEM in conjunction with the partner agency is pillar number two, and then the agency has their own work they have to do after the ambulance is in service.
0: Sure, And for those that may be confused, OEM because a lot of that many times means Office of Emergency Management to us, it's actually original equipment manufacturer. So those are the individuals that are building these ambulances. and and that third pillar with agencies is where we bring Jim Paxton in. because when we started to speak about basically the title of this podcast, Lance, you were very, very adamant about bringing somebody in that did take the reins to reestablish a culture of safety. And Jim Paxton is the assistant chief at Violet Township. And Jim, I'll be honest with you, what you did is not the norm. You realized that there was going to be uh, challenges and, and there would be there would be obstacles in front of you, but you were committed to making that change in that culture of safety. So Why don't you just take us through how that all came about and what you were doing initially in literally being part of the process in designing. I know that there were some flaws in the beginning. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your story, Jim?
2: Uh, We had some near misses here and some minor injuries based on sudden stops and guys or stuff moving around the back of the truck. Um, I got to take part of a research project, which was focusing on the rear of the, the medics and the safety that we did or didn't have at the time. And from that, we designed a medic... Um, well, we had removed the bench seat and put sliding seats in and had seat belts attached to them in an effort to try to keep the, the men and women seat belted more often and be able to adjust where the patient was. So we had a really good idea of what we wanted to do, but we, we kind of missed because the seats were big and, and they were uh, overly padded and they sat so high that the crews could not adequately reach equipment or, or the, the patient. So we ended up taking those seats out and went back to a standard bench seat after having that truck in service for a year or so. But we, we kind of built a, a committee and we kept looking at what we can do better, how do we make it safer, and we wanted to get the kits off the floor, scissors and everything from being displayed everywhere. And we tried to come up with a design where we could be seated, be belted. Um, and reach all the tools and equipment we could reach, and it, it's taken a little bit of trial and error to get where we needed to be. It's still a work in progress. Um, as Horton provided us with new seatbelt technology and, and new options with seatbelts, because it's kind of evolved over the course of the last four or five trucks that we've gotten. Uh, we've actually taken some of the medics back and had them retrofitted with the latest seatbelts that, that Horton was providing for us, and you know we tweaked a little bit where that seatbelt position was along the bench seat and. According to where the patient was. Um, so it, it's been an evolving process. It hasn't stopped. And once we got to seats where we think they were much more user-friendly than we evoked the rules of, hey, the, the norm is you should be seated in the back of the truck and belted at all times. With a the caveat, there's going to be certain runs or occasions where you're going to have to get up and move a little bit to reach something or do something. But the norm should be everyone seat belted, everything's in its place or drawer and not scissors and stuff laying all open on the trays and everything else. And so we're getting better at it. We have some new members coming in here, and the goal is to teach them. They don't have bad habits yet, so if we can teach them from the get-go that you do everything seated and seat-belted, that transition will be easier for them as they go forward. Um, and We've tried to adapt our protocol, the tools, and equipment we have to kind of complete this mission full force where you know we can do airway adjuncts now without going to the head of the patient and trying to have a visual innovation. We'll, you know, we can do some things with an IGEL. Uh, the Lucas device for CPR. So we're not standing up trying to do CPR in the back of the truck. So we've just tried to fit it all together. And Horton's been a really good partner for us because they kind of agree to our vision and have tried to help adapt us to where we needed to be. It's really
0: interesting to me, Jim, because I think for, by what you're telling me, I believe that inclusion has played a major role in getting this buy-in. How much participation are the staff able to to be part of? What are they doing? Are they part of the process? Because so many times in this industry, we feel that things are being jammed down our throat and and we're automatically pushing back on it. But when we are invited to the party, things change and we start to embrace it. And and I'm curious as to initially, was there that perception that this was being jammed down their throat? Or was it an inclusive process right from the beginning? How did it play out?
2: With the first truck and the sliding seats, I think that the members felt it was something we were forcing on them. I don't think our committee was as inclusive as it could have been. So we kind of stepped back, added people from every crew, uh, from multiple stations Um, along the way. You know, Someone would complain, say, hey, I don't like this. I'm like, hey, if, if you want to be part of the solution, then join the team. And so we've added players to it. Who had a voice and wanted to have a say in it. Um, and so it, it's grown. And as you know, some people come and go retirement or new hires, we've tried to continue to incorporate new voices, new vision into it. It's a work comp- always under progress, because I don't think you're ever really done. Um, but so then we've incorporated their ideas. Um, and really, we're trying to get back to the men and women who are on the street to have some say of what we're doing and, and where we put things because Ultimately, they're the ones that have to use it. And if I'm not making it user-friendly for them, or if we're not collectively making it user-friendly for them, then it, then it's a failure automatically. So it has to belong to them. And they can't buy into it if they can't use it.
0: Absolutely. And, and I think that one of the more interesting parts of this is that you actually change treatment protocols that would be easier to utilize based around safety. So we didn't just change treatment protocols without any regard for safety. You actually changed airway procedures. I know you had said that you were using eye gels and things like that so that you had better access. So that never once was the safety of the provider compromised. Things were moved closer to them so that they did not have to become unbuckled or unrestrained. And to me, that, that's really, really progressive. How did that play out as far as changing the mentality of how we were doing our daily duties while implementing those safety precautions?
2: we were very fortunate. We're part of a uh, kind of consortium of EMS protocols. We joined with several of the departments. We have a very progressive medical director. And so some of it just came to fruition by coincidence. Some of it came to fruition as some of the members on our medic committee are part of the committees that are EMS Coalition, where we try to join some of the visions together, and so as we pr- proceeded in developing the, the MS protocols, and we had a vision in the back of our minds of hey, we can do these things, and it's still good for the patient, and easier for us to accommodate. Going down the road in the back of the truck, uh, so it just kind of fit together. I can't say it was always a planned marriage that it worked out the way it did, but by influence of one side to the other, I think it just kind of all came to to fruition together. Um, I don't want to say just by chance; it just worked out that way. That as the protocol was evolving, we evolved how we built the trucks, and it just kind of went hand in hand.
0: Lance, do you feel that w- what Jim is doing is starting to become a little bit more common uh, in this industry? And and if not, is it something that Horton is striving for? Are they looking to develop these strategic type partnerships? Where sure, we're building the, we're building these types of safety mechanisms, but Really, we want to be able to highlight these agencies that are developing these protocols so that they can be used and maximized. Is that something that we're seeing? Is that going to be a change as we move forward here to maybe highlight more so the agencies that are doing this and utilizing your products so that both the agency and the OEM is is coming up with this collaborative type effort?
1: I certainly hope so. Um, you know, we don't want to innovate in a vacuum. And it, it, it does no good for anybody to come up with the, the, the greatest new widget if if nobody uses it. So as an OEM, we're, we're always trying to figure out ways to give great partner agencies like Violet Township a, a voice, a, a bigger voice, and a broader um, reach because that's – what they're doing is as important, if not more important than what we're doing as an innovator, right? Because they're, they're, they're changing a mindset and a culture. And I'm, I'm all ears in terms of how we identify more and more of these customers. We have other customers in the United States that um, also talk about safety layouts, change their layouts. They have different approaches. The sliding seat kind of comes and goes, but right now we do see more and more of the sliding seats. So I think it's it's slowly getting more and more traction, um, but certainly <laughs> not to the speed that that we would hope, because ultimately what we're trying to do is keep people safe. It, and um, very few of us get in, a, in a, a car or in the front seat of an ambulance and don't buckle in. But for some reason, just mentally, as soon as you get in the back, it becomes a lot less common. And however we can drive a, a change in behavior, um, I'm I'm all ears. Jim, before we wrap it
0: up, I'm curious. Have you seen a significant change in the way that your personnel are looking at this now? Is it just becoming more common now for them to to buckle up and to make sure? Is there some sort of enforcement put in place, or is it just becoming common habit, and have they actually changed that culture
2: based on this repetitive behavior? I think the culture's changed by the re- repetitive behavior. Um, I think the the officers and lieutenants are are, are kind of talking it. Uh, and they're watching it. I think the men and women in the back of the truck are starting to to believe in it and understand that the more they do it, the more common practice it becomes. We're seeing more and more of the buy in. Um, again, it's not 100%. And, you know, we're not perfect. We continue to try to grow and evolve and get better at it. But as we've enhanced the layout, enhanced the design, the seatboats get easier to use. It's becoming more and more of a common practice, a more regular practice for everybody. And, you know, I, I think some of the older guys and girls are. are pretty much preaching very hard to the younger ones. Hey, this, you know, you need to do this. And they try to set a better example then too. So it it works hand in hand. You know, we're not where we want to be yet, but we're getting there. And and it's uh, a lot less struggle now than it was when we began.
0: Well, you may not be perfect, Jim, but you're light years ahead of many. and, And hopefully what you're doing will basically give others a pathway, a clear pathway to develop their own safety culture in within their own systems. Lance, Jim, I want to thank you for both coming on with us today. I also want to thank and commend Horton Emergency Vehicles for their continued commitment to safety, as well as progressive thinking agencies such as Violet Township, who have clearly demonstrated a commitment to safety and a partnership with the ambulance manufacturer on behalf of their staff. So Gentlemen, I really do appreciate you coming on with us today. Uh, it's been a pleasure, and I, I can just say on you know behalf of the EMS a- industry, continue to do what you're doing because it will drive change. As others see that this is in play, they're going to come on board, and we need that. We need those progressive thinkers, so thanks again. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to join us at EMS World Expo October 4th through the 8th in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm Mike McCabe, and we'll see you next time on another episode of EMS World Podcasts. This has been an episode of EMS World Podcast. You can find this audio and more like it on the podcast page of emsworld.com. You can also follow EMS World on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.